And uh, please follow along with me. I'm going to begin reading in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12, all the way through the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 says this, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, And we were all made to drink of one spirit, for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, It is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked." So that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I will show you still... I will show you a still more excellent way. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for this time we have in your word. Teach us, we pray. Help our hearts and minds to focus on your truth. And Lord, uh, help us to apply these to our own lives. Um, Father, we are thankful for you bringing us here. We desire to worship you, not only with our voices, with our attention, with our learning, but in the way we serve one another as well. All for your name's sake, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we've been studying this passage that talks about the body and the body serving and working in the church and among the people of the church for the glory of Christ. And so I thought I would start this morning by asking the question, uh, where, where have you served that has brought you the most joy in the church? Where is steadfast serving? I would, I'm, I'm just curious. I would like to hear, I'd like you to think about areas where you've been able to serve here at Grace Church that has brought you the most joy. Who would like to begin? Shepherd's Conference. Okay, so Shepherd's Conferences. And, and uh, for those of you who are not familiar with Shepherd's Conferences, it's an annual conference that we have here for pastors. There are about three or 4,000 pastors that come every year. It's about a three- or four-day conference, depending on the year. And uh, we have about 1,000 volunteers from the church that help host the pastors and serve the pastors. And it's not uh, just kind of a, an hour or two here or there, is it? It's kind of like for many people, it's an all-day. People take off vacation time, and they spend hours doing uh, tasks that are difficult and sometimes uh, might go unappreciated um, because people don't see it. A lot of it's behind the scenes, setting things up, um, serving food, preparing food. Um, but why does that bring joy? Why, why do you think that brings joy? 
Okay, so you... Yeah, I'm fishing here. It's good. You said a word that I was looking for. You said uh, be a part of that team. There, there's a team effort. There's a goal. There's like, it's like you're a body working together with a common goal, and you're able to serve and function. And the, the better you're able to do that, that brings joy and a sense of accomplishment, not because you took off work and worked long hours and uh, got here early and left late and came here you know, for several days during the middle of the week, but because you saw how much it served pastors who you love and who you want to help uh, show appreciation to. Great. What, what are some other things you do here in service besides that one week a year that we have Shepherd's Conference? What, what else are we doing here, Steadfast? That brings joy. Yes. Adventure Club Sunday nights. So tell us a little bit about that. What, what happens at Adventure Club? It, uh, some people may want to join. Yeah. What is a small group of kids? Um, like, well, I would like four, or five. four or five kids that you're with, and you kind of help lead them in a bigger group. How many kids come to that adventure club in the evenings? Uh, around a hundred. Okay, so a bunch of leaders, and you come, and you get to shepherd kids on a Sunday night during the main service. Is that right? Yeah, some of us get to teach a lesson. You get to teach a lesson every now and then. Great. And what uh, what ages are we looking at? Fourth grade through sixth grade, right, pre-people, perfect, okay. Um, Pre-teen, I think is what it is, yeah, (laughs) mix that up, okay. Um, uh, What else, what else are we doing here? A couple more ideas, yes, EWG, what is EWG? Oh, everyone, see, I thought it was every woman's space, because on Wednesday all the parking spots are gone, but it's... (laughs) It's, uh, I, hear it, I hear it better now. It's every woman's grace. And what, what, how would you serve there? So you have a small group and a table, a table of ladies, and you listen to a message, and then you discuss it, and you have questions, and you follow up, and you develop genuine friendships where there's disciples that takes place. Well, that's great. And there are many more of you that are serving, and I know that. And I want to just take a moment to remind you that service is not only formal, but informal. We talk about formal service, and that's usually like, hey, I signed the clipboard, I filled out the application, I'm going to serve on this day from this time to this time. But the body of Christ is to be serving one another all of the time. This is uh, what we should be doing when we're in our Bible studies and here in fellowship group and main service and in between services. You're looking for people who are part of the body of Christ, and how can you pray for them? How can you serve them? What are their needs? Can you get together with them? And, and really, we want to have this idea that, that service is not just formal, but service can be informal. The body of Christ should be working together. Um, and sadly, we live in a day and age where churches are losing this idea. There is a philosophy of ministry that is common here that is being lost in many churches around the world uh, the, the philosophy is pretty simple, and that is um, uh, the Word of God is taught. The better we understand the Word of God, the more we can apply it to our own lives. The more we apply it to our own lives, the more our lives will change and be a blessing to others, and the more God will be glorified. But there's an emphasis that is important on this idea of loving the Word, sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to the teaching of the Word of God, uh, understanding it, studying it on your own. And so, but in many churches, there's been a de-emphasis. In fact, most churches around the world, if you think that, um, you know, it used to be that, uh, say, 50 years ago, it was common for churches to have a, a Sunday morning service, a Sunday evening service, a midweek service, and people were hearing the word taught several times a week, and many churches have reduced that, and they have one service, and then they have a life group where they may or may not be going over a passage. And just time-wise, church people are spending less time in the word, typically in the church today, which has an impact on the church today. And then there are some churches which have... um, really try to refocus and build their church a different way than this traditional way of, of prizing 
really honoring the teaching and understanding of the Word of God because it's, it's not just hearing the Word of God. If you just needed to hear it and not understand it, well, we could still uh, have, be Catholic. We could still have the priest speak in Latin, and we don't need to understand it. It's being spoken, and somehow it mystically falls on us, our ears, even though we don't understand it, and we could grow. But that's not the way it works. It needs to be taught and understood, and we need to apply it to our lives. Um, And it only happens, it only is effective for those who have repented of their sins and trusted in Christ as their Lord and Master. Because you need to be born again. You need to be regenerated in order to grow spiritually. If you are dead spiritually, as Ephesians 2 says, and you're dead in your trespasses and sins, and you're walking around even though you're dead, but you're walking according to the lusts of your flesh, you're, you're walking to the desires of your own heart, and not walking according to the desires of the Spirit, uh, then, or walking to the desires of the Lord, um, uh, then you are following your own way and not the Lord's way, and you will never grow spiritually. So spiritual growth happens only among believers, and it happens in the body of Christ, and it, it really has an emphasis. It's not the only thing, but the emphasis is on understanding his word so that we can apply it to our lives. But um, the, about uh, in the 1980s, there was a, a movement uh, that became very popular called the Church Growth Movement. And one of the churches that spearheaded it was a church called Willow Creek in Chicago. Chicago? Woohoo! Yeah. Okay, so probably don't want to go like this now. So, but, um, so uh, this church has um, uh, began by, with surveys going around to the community. What are you looking for in a church? And they geared their church around uh, uh, attracting people to church. It was very pragmatic in a sense. And this, this had been going on for years. I mean, it was, uh, it, was, it was common in many churches, even in the 70s and 80s. And I remember uh, um, some churches would have basements. They would convert them into bowling alleys. And they'd say, well, we've, we, now we have a bowling alley in our church so that we can attract people who like to bowl to church. And then we... Then we can witness to them, and, and it's a good thing. And I have nothing against bowling, so if, you're, if that's your thing. Uh, but uh, the problem is there's this pragmatic idea that the ends justify the means, and there's, it's a weak idea because it has this idea that the word of God is not powerful enough to draw people to Christ. And so somehow we need to get some other hook out there to get people so that they will listen. The problem is when you use worldly techniques to get people into the church, you end up with a worldly church. And then how does a worldly church that came to feed their own appetites, uh, how does that church grow spiritually? Now, the Willow Creek Method, which gave all kinds of seminars, was a huge, books were written, it gave uh, conferences it had, on church growth, this whole movement. After 30 years, they came out with some statements saying that they re- realized that they had failed in accomplishing what they want to do. Here's... Here's a 2007 article from Christianity Today where Bill Hybels summarizes things uh, that have occurred over the past 30 years. He said, some of the stuff that we put millions of dollars into thinking it would really help our people grow and develop spiritually, when data actually came back, it wasn't helping people that much. Other things we didn't put that much money into and didn't put much staff against is stuff our people are crying for. And then he says, we made a mistake. We should have done... For people who have crossed the line of faith and become Christians, we should have gotten people, taught people how to read the Bible uh, and how to read the Bible between services and how to do the spiritual practices much more aggressively on their own. It's interesting. This is a confession from an article, and that, that church has kind of imploded. There's been all kinds of issues since then. But what I'm saying is that after 30 years of teaching people how to grow a church, they came out publicly and said, we've been doing it wrong. We should have actually been teaching the Bible. And we've been doing all this other stuff and investing so much in other stuff, and, it, and, it, and our people are not growing spiritually. Um, so think about that as we're, as we're coming to this last section of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, because we've seen really in verses 12 and 13, we've seen the formation of a unified body where God has placed it and put it together. We've seen the functioning of a unified body in verses 14 through 26 of how it all works together. And today we're looking at the fostering of a unified body, how to help that body grow and mature, verses 27 through 31. And so as we look at verses 27 through 31 of 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to see three details about God that should foster growth in the church. Three details about God, 
And the first detail is that God has a statement about the church, and this is significant. It's found in verse 27. Verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 12 says this, Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. I'm astonished at that sentence because this is Paul writing to an individual local church in Corinth, and he says, you are Christ's body. He doesn't say, you will be Christ's body. He doesn't say, you should be Christ's body. He doesn't say, you are a part or a portion of Christ's body. He says to a local church, you are Christ's body. It's a plural verb here. You all, all of you together are Christ's body. Individually, you're members of it, but you all are Christ's body. This is a church, as we know, as we've been studying, that has been racked with internal strife and fighting and all kinds of immorality. And um, there are people who were uh, involved in coming to the love feasts, and some were getting drunk off the communion wine, and some were eating all the food, and people were going hungry, and there was selfishness in this church, and there was immorality in chapter 5, so much so that they were very accepting of people who were involved in gross sexual sin. And, and, and the church just didn't seem to be concerned about things like that. And, and this church that we learned so much about, and we're, we're grateful in one sense that they had so many problems because we also have problems. And so when we see how God, through his apostle Paul, wrote to the church, now we can learn about how we might better worship God in the church. But from God's perspective, we see him saying, you are Christ's body, present tense, which means it's continuous. You are being Christ's body. And, and of course, we, we already have a feeling for this because the very opening of the book in chapter 1, Paul addresses them as saints. And we understand that from God's perspective, those who have repented of their sins and turned and trusted in Christ for salvation have been washed, have been cleansed. And so they are, from God's perspective, holy so he can refer to them as saints. Uh, you know, we, we, some churches, the Catholic Church venerates saints. I remember I preached a sermon one time, uh, and I had a, a, a reporter come to the, our church to do a little story on our church for a little local newspaper, and she, I don't know if she's a believer or not. I think she was Catholic, actually, because she said to me, um, what, are you, what are you preaching on today? And I said, um, the, the, the ministry of the saints. And uh, she's like, you mean like, you know, St. Jude and St., you know, she's thinking about dead people. No, these people here in the church, saints, we can call them saints because from God's perspective, we are holy. God sees us through the righteousness of Christ. And therefore, uh, we are able to, from his perspective, be seen with the same love and the same care that he has for his own son as holy ones. Uh, we have been adopted into his family. And we are indeed, we are the body of Christ. And so, um, but when we come to this and we see that this term, Christ's body, has been applied to a local church, that's confusing here. What can this possibly mean? Can it mean that uh, they are the only body of Christ? Can it mean that they are one body and that there are many bodies of Christ? So what are your thoughts? I'll open it up. Why, how can he say, how can the word of God call a specific congregation Christ's body? This is the non-rhetorical part. Yes. So individually, they've all been placed in union with Christ. Are we talking about like universal? Because every Christian has been placed, Right. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're you're super close. I'm, I, I like the direction you're going, and if I gave you more time, I think we would get there. Um, the one thing is, it's interesting here. He doesn't use a definite article. He doesn't say you are the body of Christ. He's not talking about that this is the only body and that there are many bodies. He does not say you are a body of Christ. 
that, uh, uh, or yeah, that, sorry, the body as being the only body or a body. But he says, you are Christ's body. I think that's somewhat intentional because I think it's qualitative here. I think that there was something about the qualities given to the people who were in the church in Corinth that completely characterized the body of Christ. One commentator, Robert L. Thomas, said this, it is not that each church is a separate body, but that each church is a local group and possesses the quality of the whole. So what's encouraging about this is that we see that God equips local churches with all the qualities that are represented in the body of Christ. And we've seen that God is the one who places people into the body of Christ and the Spirit gifts people. And so we have a representation of Christ's body. Now, what about, we talk a lot about, um, you know, being a Christian and being forgiven and being holy and being saints. And now we're referring to you as Christ's body. You are Christ's body. Now, how can we say, now, what about sin? How does that work? What prevents us from sin if we are all those things? Yes. We still have a human body, yeah. We're still sinners, and we still, uh, I had, uh, we still have a hangover from our old sinful nature that we, uh, I used to have a professor in seminary that used to call it the homartological hangover. Homartology is the study of sin, and, uh, and so he would always, he, w- he was a different kind of guy, but he, uh, he, <coughs> he always talked about this old sin hangover that we would fight against. The difference is you are fighting against it. But the reality is that um, the fact that from God's perspective, we are holy, in practice, we struggle, we are growing. But when you talk about being sanctified or being set apart, we have positional sanctification where God looks down on us from above and says, you are holy, seizing us through the righteousness of Christ. And yet progressive sanctification is this growth where over time, which sometimes it's three steps forward, two steps back, four steps forward, one step back, two steps back, five steps forward, but it's growth. And uh, Philippians... uh, Chapter 1 says that being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue to perform it into the day of Jesus Christ. And so those who are believers will continue to grow, and he will use various means to help you grow. And those means can be discipline, and those means can be hardship. Those means can also be the grace of God. Titus 2 says that uh, the grace of God um, has, been, uh, uh, has appeared and it teaches us to deny ungodliness. So grace is your teacher. You, you, you say, oh, the reason I, sin, I don't sin, the reason I fight against sin, the reason I try to avoid sin, the reason I feel so terrible about my sin when I do sin is because I'm overwhelmed by the grace of God. He died for me. And that's what motivates us to live a holy life. And we have many motivations. And one day we will be completely holy in practice and in his presence. But right now, from his perspective, he sees us as holy, which should overwhelm us. And it motivates us as one of the motivations to help us live a holy, a holy life. And, and so it's amazing. God's grace is amazing that he would come down as God in the flesh and die as a sacrifice, as a substitute for me and for you. And it's that kind of being in awe over his love for us that caused John Newton, the writer of the hymn Amazing Grace, to say not only that, just the lyrics of that, but he said this, quote, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not even what I hope to be. But by the cross of Christ, I am not what I was. So genuine believers are changed, and there is a a change that takes place that, that makes it different. Whereas before you used to revel in sin, you used to hide your sin, you used to enjoy your sin. Now you've repented of that. You've turned from your sin and you're fighting against your sin and you're growing in holiness. So God makes a statement here. God says, you are Christ's body and individually members of it. But there's a second detail we find about God in our passage, and that is God makes a selection in the church. God has a selection that equips the church to grow, verses 28 through 30. Verses 28 through 30 say, 
And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? And so, once again, we have a list here. Paul has given several lists in the book of Corinthians. But here's a list of individuals and gifts that the Lord has given to the church, that he has selected for the church. And he seems to arrange them in some sort of order, because he begins with the first three as first, second, and third, and then he has uh, then and then for the fourth and fifth, and then he just continues on. But there seems to be some sort of order here that emphasizes uh, some sort of arrangement, and it seems to be going in a descending value. Now, this is not a complete list, obviously. He's, he often gives lists that kind of give you an idea or a sampling or a smattering of different types of gifts, and we've seen that in the four passages that deal with gifts. But um, the question comes up, why would he do this? I mean, he spent so much effort already in this chapter to try and emphasize the fact that no one is better than anyone, no gift is better than any other gift, and that we shouldn't look down on gifts that are less honorable, and we, we, we make all kinds of effort to try and honor those that are Un, that are that are dishonored, you know, like someone who, uh, you know, doesn't like their hair, and so they they uh, make all kinds of effort to color their hair or add hair or do something. I mean, they, they try to honor it more. They do. They, this is probably a bad, really, illustration, but uh, but <laughs> but. Uh, you see something that you think about yourself that's dishonorable, you spend a lot of money sometimes trying to make it look more honorable. You give it more attention. Things that you are fine with, you don't give much attention to that because it's already honorable. You don't try and cover it up or, or change it or whatever. And so um, uh, Paul's point here is in the church, we have some that we deem to be less honorable, but we should actually make more of an effort to honor them, to appreciate them. And of course, God does that. Someone asked last week, what about how does God honor that? And I think that someday there will be a Bema seat judgment where just rewards are given to believers. That may be one way that this passage is implying that God honors those things. Second Corinthians 5.10 is where we read about that, that judgment. Uh, Matthew 19, verse 30 um, talks about the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And this is the challenge, isn't it? This is the challenge of ministry because in the world we're driven to be first and we come to the church and we see different gifts and we see different positions of service and there's something inside us that says, well, I want to do this and I want to be seen here and if only this person will say, well done. And yet our Lord says we should be fighting to try and be the least and the most humble and the most unseen. And the only well done we should be concerned about is the Lord's well done. And, and, and so it goes against that old homardiological hangover, which we all have, right? So um, uh, when we see this, we see that uh, he gives certain, uh, an order here though of gifts and I want to go through those, but before I do, um, I, I just want to point out that he cannot mean earlier that all gifts should be given the same amount of attention in church. Uh, it, hear me on this. He is saying that we shouldn't despise or look down upon certain gifts, but there are some gifts that the church should focus on more gifts that have been given to the church because they have a place of priority in the church. And it's those teaching gifts, those ones that help us understand the word to go along with this philosophy of ministry that the more the word is taught, the more we understand it, the more we understand it, the more we apply it to our lives, the more we apply it to our lives, the more we will grow and become more like Christ. The more we're like Christ, the more he's glorified. And so if we, if we say that we have to give equal time, for example, to everything, and, and, and you know, that just doesn't make sense. I mean, just think about the hundreds of people 
that were involved this week to get these services and these Sunday school classes and fellowship groups and all that happens today. Hundreds of people served this week. There were people who repaired things on campus. There were people who set up chairs. There were people who, who cleaned. Uh, there were people who organized different um, uh, people to serve in music. There's the choir. There's, there, there's everything that happens. There are hundreds of people just here on this campus this week serving to the glory of Christ. But that doesn't mean that we give equal time to everything. And there have been some churches that say, well, we need equal time to everything. I mean, you know, we'll we'll only have 15 minutes to set up, and then we'll have 15 minutes of singing and 15 minutes of prayer and 15 minutes of announcement and then 15-minute sermon. Amen? So, there we go. (laughs) Thank you, Aunt Sharon. Um, (laughs) So nice to have you here. Um, but when, when we think about, you know, uh, these gifts, let's take a look at them and let's see, first of all, that God has appointed them to the church. Verse 28, first apostles. It's clear he's referring here, uh, not that every church would have apostles, but he's talking about the sent ones, the ones who were sent to the church. Paul was an apostle. There were the 12 apostles. Um, and so they're the first uh, we have apostles and prophets listed first, and these and teachers, and these are gifts that God has given as people. He's given for the church. Prophets, uh, the apostles and prophets had basic responsibilities. They were to lay the foundation of the church. It says in Ephesians two verse twenty, uh, to receive and declare God's revealed word. Acts eleven twenty eight, and Ephesians three, and they were to confirm through signs and wonders. And so we read about that in. Second uh, Corinthians twelve twelve is one place. Also Hebrews two three and four. Uh, Hebrews two three says, "How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness with both signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts." of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So the apostles and the prophets laid the foundation for the church. They laid it past tense. Ephesians 2.20 talks about the apostles and prophets who laid the foundation for the church. It's no surprise to us that we don't have apostles and prophets today like they did in the first century because the foundation has been laid, Christ being the cornerstone. And if you're going to do the same thing you do when you lay a foundation, you're not going to end up with a structure like a building. You're going to end up with a tower that is just one solid foundation over a foundation over a foundation. We don't need to keep on relaying the foundation. God, um, God appointed apostles and prophets to lay the foundation of the church. And before the canon of Scripture was closed, in order to confirm the message that was spoken, that these weren't false prophets or false apostles, they had signs and wonders that accompanied them according to Ephesians, or Hebrews 2, verses 3 and 4. So first apostles, second prophets, third teachers... Ephesians 4.11 combines this gift with the gift of pastor. It talks about the pastor and teacher in Ephesians 4.11, which doesn't necessarily mean that everyone with the gift of teaching should be a pastor, but every pastor should have the gift of teaching. I would talk to my students when I was serving as missionary in Malawi, and, and uh, we had um, uh, shepherding was very common. Uh, goat shepherding was very common where I, where I lived in Malawi. Goat meat's really good meat. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the goat milk because, well, frankly, they didn't strain the hair out very well, and so it um, gets in between your teeth. But uh, that's probably more details than you need this morning. But I said to my students when I was teaching in Africa, I said, imagine that you have a shepherd boy who loves the sheep, brushes their hair, hugs the sheep, is really good with the sheep, knows them all by name, and yet never takes them to a new pasture, never feeds the sheep, never takes them to get water. Would you keep that boy as a shepherd boy? They say, I was, no, 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 we'd get rid of him like that. He'd be gone. I say, okay, let's suppose you have a pastor in your church who loves the people, drinks tea with the people, um, just really cares for the people, but he just doesn't teach. He's not a good teacher. And people just don't understand. And they walk away saying, what was that? Do you keep him? And they go, oh, that's more difficult. But really... A pastor is a shepherd, and a shepherd who does not feed is not a good shepherd, especially when we think about how the church is going to grow. 
And so teachers are one of these things that, one of these positions that God has given to the church, a gift according to Ephesians 4.11, a gift according to this passage here that God has given to the church. He has appointed some to teach. Um, and and that, that might be different than the gift of teaching. Um, the gift of teaching, I mean, every father needs to be able to teach his children. There are plenty of people who, uh, who uh, we all need to be able to teach to a certain degree. If we're going to disciple anyone, we need to be able to teach what we've learned. But that's differing in different people, and some people have a spiritual gift, which is not equated with uh, a natural gifting that somebody might have. Um, and it says in 1 Corinthians twelve eighteen, we read earlier, but now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And so he's appointed some to have the gift, or as teachers, as in, and then he says, after that, miracles and then gifts of healings. And so we've talked about this quite extensively. Uh, I'll just re- restate this, and that is that we believe that miracles still happen. We believe that God still heals. I do not believe, and we do not teach here, that people still have the gift of miracles or the gift of healing as they did in the first century. Um, the gift that was demonstrated by the apostles, we just don't see demonstrated like that today, uh, uh, where, where the healing was visible, instantaneous, uh, and it didn't fail. And we didn't use, they didn't use excuses like, uh, well, you don't have enough faith, come back when you have more faith and that sort of thing. The idea is that um, uh, God does still heal. He may choose to heal miraculously, instantaneously, but not through an individual like he did when he gave that gift to certain individuals in the first century and in, in the Old Testament times too. Um, Mark sixteen twenty is one where it says, and they went out and preached everywhere and the Lord working with them and confirming the word through accompanying signs. That's another passage, just like Hebrews 2, 3, which tells us that the signs and wonders were there to confirm that the word was being spoken and taught. And today, if you want to confirm that the word is being spoken and taught, you can confirm it with what? With the word. Whereas in the first century, the word wasn't complete, and so there were other ways of confirming it. Now, if you believe that the word isn't complete now and that we still are receiving prophecy, even though the book of Revelation says no one should add to these words, um, then, then that's where that uh, belief comes that, oh, and now we have these confirming gifts still existent today. Um, so I, 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 I wanted to touch on that. I don't want to get into that unless you have questions. But I just, I just really, um, some of these gifts are clearly temporary and some of them are last longer. And we'll see that in chapter 13 because we know that some are temporary because it says that some in verse 8 will be done away with and some will cease. And so we'll get that. Um, probably we're going to go back into chapter 13, probably in August when we come back from our break in July, we'll be in, in that section. But I do want to spend time on that and, and show more about that. So we have the gift of miracles, gift of healings, and then we have helps, which are also called gifts of service in Romans twelve seven. It's a beautiful word, actually. It means uh, to lay, laying a hold of, and or to take a burden off someone else and, 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 and lay it on yourself. So this word is to grab something, take it off somebody else, put it on yourself. That's the idea of helps. Um, and uh, the same word was found in, in uh, Acts 20, verse 35, encouraging the Ephesian elders, and it's used as the word support. It says, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. So Paul tells the... Um, the elders there to help the weak, to take the burden off the weak, to support the weak. That's part of, gives us an idea of the gift of helps or service. Administrations, different than what we think of. We think, oh, church administrations must be church administrator, must be really good with a printer and all kinds of uh, different office situations that come up. But this word actually has the idea of leadership and guidance the word literally means to steer or to pilot. So somebody with the gift of administration has a gift of leadership in the church that is able to steer and pilot. And sometimes that could manifest itself in someone who has this just gift of just being able to see someone and say, hey, 
you should maybe serve here. You're really gifted that way and encouraging them and helping direct them uh, by administrating uh, them in a sense or steering them or guiding them. It might manifest itself in, in bigger ways with people who have other leadership roles in the church. Um, and then he says various kinds of tongues. And tongues, as we've seen, is the, it was the gift in the first century, which no longer exists today, but it was the gift to sp- speak a known language. And it, we, that's very clear from our text, and we'll see that as we get into chapter 14, because Paul makes very clear in chapter 14 that it was only to be done by two or three in a service, no more than three, and not at the same time, and with interpretation. Which is why Paul puts it at the bottom of the list here. Because this, this church in Corinth, with the amount of time he spends in chapter 14 on tongues, it seems as though this church was enamored with this idea of tongues. That was like the prize. And so he is talking to them about tongues, and he's saying, uh, what good are tongues if you don't understand what's being said? The gifts you should be seeking after are, are ones that are actually um, intelligible, that you can actually learn from, that are clear, where you can understand the word better. And we'll see that as we go on. Um, we've seen, uh, he, goes, he goes on in verse uh, 29 And he asks these rhetorical questions here. Each one of these questions, by the way, is phrased in such a way in the Greek where it expects you to give a negative answer. And that's why different versions have tried to pose it so that you would say no after each one of them. And just take a look at it. It said, all are not apostles, are they? No. All are not prophets, are they? No. All are not teachers, are they? No. All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have the gifts of healing, healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? And so he, he comes down through this list by saying there are a variety of gifts and the church should not all be seeking after the same gift or making some people feel less of a Christian if they don't have the same gift that you have. There are varieties of gifts. There's a diversity of gifts. It's meant to be like that so that the body can function. And he even uses, prior to this, you know, illustrations of different parts of the body, the hand, the foot. If we were all a foot just hopping down the, the street, that would be, we'd look ridiculous. We'd not be able to function. How would we play the piano? So we look at now, we've seen a statement about the church. We've seen a selection in the church. A third detail about God that will, should foster growth in the church is a strategy for the church. And this is a confusing verse. It's a verse that's been ripped out of context a lot. But take a look at verse 31. But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you still a still more excellent way. So this, is, this again, is confusing because we've, we've gone through the whole chapter here of chapter 12. He's made a huge effort to say that we shouldn't look at some gifts as greater than others. And then he gives a list and he says, well, they're not greater, but we should show greater attention to certain gifts, gifts like teaching, gifts that lay the foundation for the church and gifts that help equip the church. And then he says, um, you know, though we shouldn't prize people above others and that God gives honor to those who are, we deem to be weak or unnecessary and we should honor them. And he gets here and he says, desire the greater gifts. And there are some who take this verse and in their churches, they use it and they just say, desire tongues. Tongues is the greater gift. Desire the greater gifts. Which we know it can't mean that, right? Because because all throughout this chapter, he's been showing that, I mean, he just says right before it, all do not speak in tongues, do they? Speak with tongues, tongues being languages like your mother tongue. So earnestly desire the greater gifts. What does that mean? What could that mean if it doesn't mean everybody should desire speaking in tongues? What are the greater gifts? Okay, I'll jump right in. Here we go. Three possibilities. One, this could be a quotation. This could be something that they said, a slogan that they had. Earnestly desire the greater gifts. 
we know that Paul had been saying to them before about certain slogans. He, he, he addressed them before. Um, uh, for example, um, in chapter 6, verse 13, he said, food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. And he seems to use that slogan that was common during that time to introduce his teaching uh, about the body and, and so forth. He says in chapter 7, verse 2, now concerning about the things which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And uh, I think he, there was some confusion about that slogan, and that's probably something that they were saying in the church. You shouldn't touch a woman. And the idea wasn't like how many Bibles to have you between you and the woman, but the idea was it was basically sexual relations with a woman. And there were some in the church in 1 Corinthians 7 we learned about who were wanting to divorce their spouse and, and live a celibate life because they thought it was more holy to be celibate. And we talked a lot about that when we were in chapter 7. And, and so Paul begins with a slogan. So it could be that this was some sort of quotation or slogan that they often said, earnestly desire the greater gifts. And he's saying it in somewhat sort of a sarcastic way here. Earnestly desire the greater gifts. You know, uh, not everybody has them, but yeah, you think you should earnestly desire them? And then he contrasts that with, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Another possibility is that this is not a command. And this is a difficult grammatical thing for us because we look at this and uh, an imperative in Greek is like an imperative in English. A command in Greek is like a command in English. It has the same structure and context tells us whether it's a command or not. Um, if I were to say, you sit down, um, how I inflect that tells you, I could say, um, you know, you sit down, and it, it sounds like a command. If I say, you sit down, that sounds like a question. If I say, um, you sit down, or actually it sounds like a command again. Somehow you could say it, I'm sure, so that it sounds like just a statement. Uh, and, and so this word actually has the word you in there, um, but it, it could be read... Uh, you earnestly desire the greater gifts. He's just making a statement of fact. Um, and the grammar has that possibility. And there are many who believe that that's what he's saying here. Um, a third possibility is that greater gifts are the gifts that he gets to in chapter 14, verses 1 through 25, where he speaks about the gifts of teaching and gifts that, are, that edify, gifts that build up, gifts that strengthen. And, so, and, and they're all prefaced by this attitude of love, which is why he has 13. And many people believe that this verse actually should go in chapter 13 because the verse chapters were added later. They're not inspired, uh, the verses and chapters. So um, uh, those are some possibilities, three possibilities. And... Uh, to be honest, I'm not sure which one it is, but I, 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 do, I do see that clearly he cannot be saying everybody desire tongues here, which is how some people take this verse, rip it out of context, and say this is what you must do. The context clearly teaches that. I, I think this is probably uh, either um, uh, a statement of fact, not an imperative, or he's getting to these greater gifts in chapter 14. So that gets us through here. I, I wanted to get here to talk about that he makes this statement, which is phenomenal for the church, and that we should, that we are Christ's body. It should be humbling. It should be convicting. It should be challenging for someone to refer to you as a member of Christ's body. That God has selected individuals and gifts for every member of the church we've seen that and we also his strategy for the church is that we would seek after the excellent love that should be in the church and serving and focusing on gifts that help build up the church more that help us understand god and his word more and that's what i believe what he means by earnestly desire the greater gifts. You earnestly desire the greater gifts is, is this idea that the ones that are, that are intelligible. Uh, speaking in tongues might be fun. It might be something that uh, was, uh, uh, was prized during that time because you could actually speak a language you'd never learned before. I do not believe that what it, many people today 
um, say that they're speaking in tongues is tongues, I believe that's just ecstatic speech because it's just gibberish. And therefore, uh, when somebody says, do you think it's wrong for me to speak in tongues? I would say, what language do you speak? What language do you speak that you haven't learned? Because, because that's the only way I see it um, laid out in scripture. Uh, and then they say, well, no, I just make up my own language. And then I say, oh, well, that's not tongues. That's just ecstatic speech. And there are other religions that practice that. And I don't think it's something that Christians is beneficial for them. So, but I do think God has a strategy for the church to grow. And I'll just review it one last time. That strategy is to understand his word. Which is why we focus so much here on teaching. Um, Understand his word. Uh, So the word's taught. We understand it. We apply it to our lives. We change because of that. And then God is glorified more. We have about seven or eight minutes here left. Any questions? Yes, Michael. Yeah. I do think that's a possibility. That was the first possibility I mentioned was that it could be a quotation that they'd use and he's saying somewhat sarcastically. Because he says so clearly, not everybody has all the gifts, but you, you go ahead. You keep on pursuing those ones. You do what you think's best, but this is what the Apostle Paul says. And by the way, as I said in chapter one, I speak on behalf of God. So uh, I, I think there could be that going on, certainly. Any other questions? Everything was clear? You're not going to walk out of here? So so almost every Sunday when we do this, somebody comes to me afterwards and they ask like the best question. (laughs) And they say, I just didn't want to ask it in front of everybody. Yes? Yeah, so the, the question is how open or public should we be about the gifts that we believe we have and, and where we serve. I think that, uh, and I think this is something that we have freedom in. I, I don't think any of the passages that teach on the gifts of the Spirit tell us to, uh, really tell us um, uh, to, pers- to, to uh, seek after certain gifts. These are gifts that are given to us. They're gifts and we need to be careful, obviously, about boasting about the gifts because they're just given to us by God. And I know that there are a number of, you can go online and take uh, some sort of uh, gifting test or whatever like that. Um, I'm not sure about those either. I, don't, I think that you can find, you can take the same test uh, on four different websites and come up with different gifts. Uh, and I don't think that God only gives one gift to a certain person. Uh, I think that because these gifts are all given generally in categories, and I think that uh, there's an emphasis in this chapter on each one has been given, um, I think there's this idea that we have unique gifts, and it's more of a conglomeration of gifts. So you might have a certain measure of teaching and a certain measure of helps and a certain measure of, uh, you know, and it's all put together, and it's God's gifting for you. Um, and... I don't know how to identify these gifts other than doing what you enjoy doing and doing it for the glory of God. And so that's when people come to me and say, how can I figure out what gifts I have? I tell them, just start serving. Serving everywhere you can possibly serve. Serve other people and find what brings you the most joy. Because ultimately, we're not talking about a natural gifting. Uh, you would expect that, that somebody who has the gift of encouragement would also be able to, would be a gifted communicator, right? Or, I mean, you can communicate in, in many ways. But, but you would expect that somebody who has the gift of teaching would also have some natural abilities in teaching. But the natural abilities are different. Those are human giftedness given to mankind in general by common grace, whereas spiritual gifts are only given to believers. And 
they manifest themselves in ways that we don't understand, which is why sometimes you teach and you go home and your, your wife says, what was that? Uh, hypothetically, uh, you, would, you, would, you would do that. Anita's coming back this week. She's uh, visiting her sister this week. So. But um, I'm not always talking about her anyways. Um, but at that same week, somebody could come to you weeks later and say, you will never know how much that ministered to me. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Um, and I think, that, I think that most of us probably focus too much on what we're doing and ourselves. And, oh, man, you know, I mean, there's a time where you say, I, I should have done better and all this. But uh, you do your best. You do it with excellence. You put the time in. You, you, you find ways to serve. And then you commit it to the Lord. Lord, use this. I did it for you. I didn't do it for accolades from other people. I didn't do it to try and, uh, you know, win the affection of a certain person or whatever. I did this for you and your name and your name alone. All right. Yes. Bruce. Um, I wouldn't think of the representation where the obvious sense should be the most sense that we see. So yes, you are desirable in the gifts of thirty one. What is that? Verse twenty eight. He's just given us the order. Yeah. And I do think so. I think, I think that that is, is fair. And what Bruce has suggested is that, is that when he says the greater gifts, he's pointing back to what he says in the beginning of verse 29, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Hey, you want to seek after things? Go for that. The danger is that some of them earlier on in the book said, I am of Paul, I am of Cephas. And there were certain apostles that they, they treasured too much. So I think you can get carried away with that. But the, the idea of a first century church wanting apostles and prophets and uh, teachers to be prevalent among them so that they could grow. Yeah. Yeah, I do believe that. Yeah, great. That's a good point. Thanks. Yes. Um, what does it mean when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, like 18 through um, 24-ish, where he's talking about, um, I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than all of you. Um, and then he later says, um, therefore tongues are for a sign speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers will they not say that you are out of your mind yeah so okay so pj asked a question about first corinthians 14 so we'll close with this and we'll just uh uh, we'll pick this up when we get to first corinthians 14 but take a look at first corinthians 14 uh verse 8 paul verse 18 paul says uh I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. Of course, right now, he's saying that uh, you know, he had the gift of speaking tongues. So he's able, he was able more than any of them to speak in known languages that he had never studied before, uh, which would be very, very helpful for a guy who traveled around to different countries and ministered the gospel. He says, however, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. He's saying, hey, if I had the choice, I'd rather speak five words that were intelligible in this church than 10,000 words in a tongue that you couldn't understand. Verse 20, brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written by men of strange tongues. That's a quote that we'll, we'll come to. Verse 22, so the tongues are for a sign not to those who believe but to unbelievers, but prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. In other words, when people came to a church and you were an unbeliever and you say, wow, he says these are messages of God. He's speaking in my own language, like on, in Acts chapter 2, and 15 different nations are there and they're speaking the wonders of God in their, and they're hearing them in our own language is what it says in, in Acts chapter 2. So on the day of Pentecost, they heard this. So now they're believing because they're hearing the wonders of God and they're seeing it displayed in a miraculous way. And yet that was really impressive and they all wanted to do that. But prophecy is better for a church because... You don't have to go through an interpreter and then hear what the message was and say, wow, I can't believe he spoke that tongue. Hear it straight from somebody who can just teach God's word. 
like a prophet or apostle, and that's going to build the church. That's going to edify the church, which is really our focus and what we're trying to get to with the, our philosophy. That's good. It's a good way to wrap it up. Hey, it's great to be with you. And uh, next week, uh, we're having a missionary come and visit us, Bruce. And uh, did we announce this before? I, was, I wasn't listening. Oh, we did, yeah. Hey, bring your friends. It's going to be great. If you want to know what's going on in Ukraine, first-hand testimony of what's been going on in Ukraine, pictures, first-hand Right here, steadfast, next week, please come. Let me just close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you for this time together. We love you. We honor you. We thank you for your word. Teach us, change us, use us, be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.